Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the 32nd and penultimate episode of the 2022 World Cup Daily Podcast, courtesy of What If Football here on the Sports Social Podcast Network and YouTube. Well, we've got a little brief time here to sit back and look back at the World Cup. We are here before the third, fourth place playoff, which we'll discuss and tie into the, the final tomorrow, or rather today, but... For now, we are going to sit back, review the 2022 World Cup team by team and look at the legacy of Qatar. Let's get stuck in. So let's kick on. And first, thank you very much for anybody who's followed this all the way through for 32 episodes now uh, via the Sports Social Podcast Network, anywhere where you get your podcasts, really, and on YouTube, where we've been running this daily podcast concurrently, as we did with the Euros. I think this may be my uh, my tournament daily podcast retirement. Uh, been a bit harder to squeeze in this one with four games a day, but uh, it has been fun every single day. Of course, we've been on on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash what if football, where for one pound a month you can look back at the, the World Cup Great Games podcast that we that we did and the the 80 in our back catalogue now for the Great Games podcast, another fun series to uh, to delve into, really, from games of all sorts, really, from 1954 right up until 2018, 
really. And on YouTube, we've done predictors, combined 11s, awards for like the best goalkeeper, best defense, etc. Uh, football manager international challenges. We've got a, a little sneaky uh, bonus for you in terms of the football manager over Christmas, um, which uh, may or may not be out by the time you listen to this. Um, but there we are. And of course, we'll be continuing our alternate football universes with the What If videos as ever every single day as we normally do over on YouTube. So with all that out of the way, let's kick on, shall we? And uh, and review the 2022 World Cup. So for the first half, well, for the, for the majority of this show, really, we're going to do it team by team, group by group, really. So where else to start if we're going to do it group by group than Group A, where unfortunately eliminated teams were Ecuador and Qatar. Now, I don't think anybody truly aside from nefarious means, believed that Qatar were ever going to get out of the group. They they didn't even give it too much of a good go, really. And all of the promises of potentially playing Barcelona-inspired football with, you know, the legacy that Xavi's left behind with Al Saad, with the manager of Felix Sanchez, who's still in charge, um, being of um, Barcelona alum, um, it never really came to pass. Qatar scored one goal, looked timid. They didn't look as though they were playing their kind of game. I'm sure they are or will be relatively successful in the Asian Confederation in years to come. I'm absolutely certain of that. And maybe the legacy of Qatar is the national team improving and eyes on them, I guess. Um, but in the World Cup, in the world stage, maybe the pressures of the entire World Cup told, maybe all the Ferrari that came with it impacted the players, but they didn't look like a team who had won the Asian Cup some few years prior and um, rightfully really um, will go down as the worst team at this World Cup and it's not even close. Um, even in FIFA's rankings, they are 32nd. as one of only two teams to lose all three group games, which I suppose is a plus point really going into uh, the next World Cup. That doesn't really happen. You tend to have quite a few teams that are just whitewashed. Um, but then again, um, teams that uh, get nine points from nine are usually in abundance. There was zero at this World Cup. Um, and another team from Group A bidding goodbye was Ecuador, frightfully unlucky I felt in a 50-50 game with Senegal they played a good game against the Netherlands as well I felt that though they were the better team against the Dutch in all honesty and a Valencia Gonzalo Plata a good left hand side with Purvis stooping on Moises Caicedo uh, mainly Brighton players <laughs> really, but they were they, I thought they were a pretty good outfit and when you consider some groups in this World Cup where you see the likes of Poland South Korea who got through and weren't that great when you've got Ecuador in Group A I, I suppose it's just the look of the draw really unfortunately and perhaps it's a very young squad and perhaps they're inexperienced tall they equalized a, an enormous moment against Senegal but then conceded immediately after and from a set piece as well so probably a switching off process there but they will be very strong in four years time you'd like to think they would qualify with the expanded tournament you'd probably get seven South American teams through so Ecuador should be there and four years better four years more experienced they'll be they'll be there and they'll probably be more dangerous as well and given the way that the tournament may or may not be formatted knockout stage is a very real possibility for Ecuador and going into Group B, we had Iran and Wales eliminated. Iran, a bit like Ecuador, really. They faltered in a 50-50 match. A lot a lot of this World Cup, really, there's a, a, a ton of 50-50 matches going into the final game, and um, which is one of the plus points of this tournament. Whilst I feel as though, we'll talk about it later, the knockout stages 
could have been better. The group stages, particularly the final matches, were incredible, really, and, and picked up a lot of the slack for this tournament. Iran, unfortunately, were unable to um, bring back the ghosts of 1998 when they beat USA in that um, politically sensitive clash, I think uh, I'm inclined to call it. Here, though, Christian Pulisic scored, um, and really, USA, on the basis of the entire... The entire group probably deserved it thanks to their point against England. England comparatively breezed through. And in terms of Wales, really, unfortunately, it was one tournament too far for uh, Gareth Bale and Co. And, and really, only one point. We'll see it with uh, with Serbia later on. Fine, fine, fine margins in this tournament. The Iran game really could have been won, although you'd probably say it's more of a draw. An incredible, um, incredible uh, win from the Iranians there. And a whole story in of itself, really, Iran, in terms of um, standing up to their regime, not singing the national anthem. They didn't really put in a great performance against England, but till still scored two goals. The Wales match was a, a brilliant example of uh, defensive football and striking whilst the iron was hot there. And in terms of Wales, a game of two halves against USA, um, unfortunate against Iran with a red card that came beforehand and pushing for the goal when they maybe should have taken a draw. And then without any belief, capitulated against England, unfortunately for them. And in Group C, we had... It was a strange one, Group C, really, wasn't it? Argentina finished top on six points despite losing to Saudi Arabia in the opening game. And you got to say, Saudi Arabia, it will go down as they finish bottom of the pile. And if you take away all the results and just see the, the standings and see Argentina first, yeah, you'd expect that. Mexico and Poland... Two and three, you'd have expected that. Which way around is was up in the air. Um, I was more of a Mexican man than a Polish man, but um, Saudi Arabia bottom. But they didn't do it in the way, in the manner they were they were uh, supposed to. They came back, and it, we know now that it was a bit of a freak result um, with the low XG numbers, the stunning goal from Aldo Sarri, um to win the game, and a, a great um, atmosphere uh, because you, you, it was one of the few games where you pitted two teams that were vastly supported. You get the, obviously the likes of Iran, Morocco, Saudi Arabia. They were all, they were all in there um, heavily supported and the likes of Argentina, Brazil were also um, very little from Europe. Um, but I think that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It's just when you get to the latter stages, the majority of the teams will be European. Obviously you get the, the South American team, usually Argentina and Brazil in there who will bring support regardless of where it is if it was on the moon there would be a few argentines i'm sure um in the attendance really but i felt saudi arabia they had a good one and a half games um fantastic offside trap performance i don't think i've ever seen anything like it against argentina and really there's the scoring against poland was two nil the loss but uh, if Aldosari scores a penalty in the uh, first half and Poland very lucky to go in front when they did through Zielinski, um, it was very hard luck. We, we spoke about it a few days ago. Very hard luck story for um, for Saudi Arabia then. And of course, they gifted Robert Lewandowski's his first ever World Cup goal, which we would then have gone to double in the knockout phase. In terms of Mexico, one of the bigger disappointments in this um, tournament. Nobody believed, a bit like Denmark really in the next group we're going to talk about. Nobody really believed they could do much uh, in terms of winning the tournament. Maybe we believed a bit more out of Denmark. There's a lot of pessimism going into the tournament from Tata Martino's side of things. A lot of Mexicans just fought, just get to the knockout phase 
players and will be happy with that, despite obviously the uh, El Quinto Partido curse that they've uh, put upon themselves from uh, failing to get out of the, the fourth match, the uh, round of 16 since 1994, and they would have killed for a fourth match here. Um, they did almost qualify, though. Um, it was, again, one of these nail biters where... Well, yeah, while they, they weren't pitted against one another, Mexico and Poland, it, it could have gone down to yellow cards, would have gone down to yellow cards if Mexico didn't um, concede in the last minute. So I guess we uh, we avoided the ignominy of that, which is which I think is a good thing. Uh, Mexico had a slew of chances, but the, the fact remains they, they only started really attacking-wise in that game. They froze against Poland in the opener, which was a nil dour, desperate nil-nil draw. Um, they, I thought they performed pretty admirably against Argentina, and Argentina were, were fairly lucky to get out of that. But it felt as though it was um, football played with a seatbelt on, really, with uh, with Mexico, really. In terms of Group D, a, a team that I... Um, was remiss to uh, forget in terms of the huge fan support, Tunisia and uh, Morocco, of course. Uh, Tunisia, they had enormous backing right from the start. <laughs> the defender absolutely cleaned out Christian Eriksen and the crowd celebrated it like a goal. Um, you knew exactly what kind of tournament it was going to be for Tunisia after that. The France win is a good memory. Um, they were never really in any danger of qualifying um, Australia, of course. It triggered a, a bit of a, a climax there when uh, I think it was Matthew Leckie ran through and scored for Australia just like two minutes after. So Tunisia were qualified on that final match day for all but two minutes. And of course, it has to be said that, that Tunisia beat France, the, the finalists in the end, um, and a much changed French team, of course. Uh, Denmark, unfortunately, they were desperate in front of goal. They didn't come close to deserving a win, didn't really come close to scoring from open play. Their only goal came against France, believe it or not. Uh, Andreas Christensen header from a corner, simple header as well. Uh, but from open play, they looked turgid. They, they lacked, like Germany did, a true number nine or any attacking impetus. It was very rarely anything of note from the Danes, unfortunately. And uh, they started off on a pretty bad note with a nil-nil draw against Tunisia and weren't able to... Uh, to really shirk that after that. And as soon as Australia scored, it was curtains, really, unfortunately. And uh, we got to Group E, which <laughs> is ridiculous. Probably the greatest group finale I can remember. There was four, three or four minutes where Germany and Spain were both out. Um, <laughs> Costa Rica suddenly started playing. And really, Costa Rica, possibly the worst team outside of... Qatar. I think I can say that with confidence. And for four minutes, they were through... And they gained, um, well, they almost gained four points, six points. Out. It was incredible, the final. Um, they had one shot against Japan, which is a, an, an error from Gonda. Um, and everyone then was dooming Japan to elimination. And of course, they did what they did. And, uh, and a 10-minute spell against Germany where they overturned a 1-0 deficit to go 2-1 up. And you just think, where, like Mexico, where was this team for, for the rest of the for the rest of the tournament? They were shocking. They put they could have put 12 men behind the ball against Spain. They still would have lost handsomely. 7-0. It was embarrassing. Japan, they were embarrassing against them, but they performed probably as as teams should have performed against Japan, notably Spain and Germany, who both lost to them. They performed how they should have done against Japan. 
threats, the counter-attacking threat of the Japanese. They should have held off like Costa Rica did and just let them attack because that's where Japan were at their most blunt. And you could say that's where the uh, Japan came unstuck eventually in the last 16. But we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. And yeah, some great memories outside of the Saudi Arabia win over Argentina. Japan's come, two comeback wins. They go into the Spain and um, and Germany games, one goal down at halftime. <laughs> And obviously the Spain game, mired in controversy for people who can't understand angles um, with a ball going out of play and whatnot. Uh, but it was in a miraculous comeback. The, for the drama of the comeback alone, even if the ball was out of play, just let it go, see what happens from a, uh, from a deranged point of view, really. And the Germany comeback as well uh, was ridiculous. Uh, it, was, it was a stunning group finale uh, on the same lines as group f from euro 2021 germany france hungary and portugal where every, every nation seemed to be in with a shout of qualification i think everybody had qualified at some point in in the day <laughs> uh, in this group as well and it was i just stunning one of the best days of uh, world cup football and unfortunately if the if the format is to change well we won't have days like that again will we unfortunately so we got to Group F and another huge underachiever here, Belgium, a bit like Wales, really, a bit of a step too far for ageing players, a bit like Aiden Hazard. Romelu Lukaku, unfortunately, comes into the tournament unfit. If he's, if he's at the top of his game, peak of his power, say if this tournament comes last year, uh, he scores a hat-trick against Croatia. He obviously starts for the first two games and Belgium whitewash the group, go through, and and who knows, then will it be another quarterfinal against uh Against the Brazilians, and who knows what would have happened. But, um, yeah, Kevin De Bruyne seemed um, just pissed off the entire time. Um, they started things off poorly, despite the win, which was, uh, come the end of the tournament, their highlight, really, the 1-0 win over Canada. But outside of that, outside of the last 30 minutes against Croatia, never really looked like scoring. And had those chances fallen to a prime, a fit Lukaku, um, he would have put at least two away. But uh, unfortunately came up against the best defender in the tournament for me, Josko Vadiol, and um, a tense finale, another great finale to a group stage, really. And uh, unfortunately it was a group where not all four teams were in it. Canada were eliminated before the final game. But they left the tournament with zero points, just as they did in 1986. Um, they started that tournament off with a 1-0 defeat to uh, France. Started this tournament off with a 1-0 defeat against Belgium. I've not, I've got to admit, I've not watched France 1 Canada 0 from 1986. Who has? Um, but this performance would have been drastically different. They absolutely dominated, absolutely dominated Belgium and were very unfortunate to be going out with the way the group lied um, with Canada. And really, when you look at the whole tournament as a whole from the retrospect, Morocco, Canada... Uh, Morocco and Croatia, two semi-finalists, and then you've got Belgium in there as well. Canada were in a hard group. We thought, I thought anyway that this group was going to be one of the tightest, uh, and it did turn out to be quite quite close. And Canada were the only team up until the semi-finals that managed to score against Morocco as well. So that was uh, exciting, I suppose, and uh, and uh, a notch for uh, Canadian football. And they'll be back. They'll be better. It's a young squad. Let's be fair. Jonathan David, Alfonso Davis. Dejan Buchanan, who I felt had a breakout tournament, really. Um, all young players, Kyle Lorin, fantastic player. A lot, all of them play in Europe. 2026, all eyes will be on them, part hosting the tournament. 
depending on the format of that tournament, could be a, a knockout stage. You'd be expecting them to get their first win. They'll be seeded. They will hopefully be in a kind of group from their perspective. And they deserved a win out of this. They deserved to beat Belgium. They probably didn't deserve anything against Croatia. They just came up against a wily, experienced team there. And despite Alfonso Davies scoring, the nation's first ever World Cup goal, um, unfortunately, it, ju- it, well, it just wasn't to be, was it, unfortunately? And in Group G, where, I mean, another great finale again, another fantastic end to another group phase. And Cameroon, they, I, I gave them very little hope. Like Ghana, I gave them very little hope. But out of the African teams that, that didn't qualify for the knockout phase, they came the closest. Cameroon, they had a first African win over Brazil at a World Cup with Vincent Abubakar's last-minute header. Took his shirt off and got celebrated. Uh, got sent off. Didn't seem to care, even though another goal would have got them through. Um, again, a, a fine. And it's a bit like Tunisia versus uh, versus France, really, with that win. Um, it was against a much changed Brazil team. Brazil were never truly in danger of um, of finishing outside the top position. But it's, it's a memory, I suppose, for Cameroon and Cameroon. They put they performed quite well. The Switzerland game, fine margins there. They were very good. They controlled parts of that game quite well and Guiso I thought was incredible in Buemo and um, Abubakar when he came on Trooper Moting was you know brilliant Tokoe Kambi as well so they had they were very good team Cameroon and then coming from 3-1 behind against Serbia again another team like Canada like Wales who probably deserved a little bit more out of this game out of this tournament and Serbia in a different group, I have no no doubts they would have qualified. Say, put them in Group H, I think they'd qualify, uh, for example. Um, 3-3 draw there, 3-2 defeat against Switzerland, where they took the lead. They, they unfortunately just could not handle um, being in front. And of course, and 3-1 uh, going down against Cameroon, injured players and um, Cameroon, you know, getting right to the right to the heart of those injuries and um, punishing them for it. The final day could have swung either way. It was that we would treat it to another 50-50 Serbia-Switzerland clash, as in as in 2018. And two of the scorers from that day scored in this match as well. And uh, when Vlajevic scored, it looked as though Serbia were about to get revenge. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it wasn't to be in Switzerland. Just have that knack, don't they, of, um, <laughs> of qualifying for the last 16. I called them the... Uh, the European Mexicans, I think, in the preview. And they're on their way to doing that, if you think about it. 2014, last 16. 2018, last 16. Here again, last 16. And really, if you think about it, 2010, they should have been in the last 16. They beat Spain and then somehow couldn't get a win against Honduras to qualify. And then if you you know extrapolate even further back, 2006, they lost to Ukraine on penalties. That's another last 16 right there for you. So you've got a very, very, yeah, Mexican type of history, recent history from Switzerland. They just always find a way to get through. But unfortunately, in terms of the draw, at least in the World Cup anyway, just don't have enough. And we go to Group H where maybe a bit like um, Wales, like Belgium. For Uruguay, it was a step too far. And um, unfortunately, the manager didn't entrust his younger players enough, really, because you saw the Aris Kayeta's performance against Ghana. He scored two goals. He was wonderful. And the fact that he was only trusted for that third group game when Uruguay had toiled and it even looked like coming close to scoring a goal, aside from one or two pot shots that hit the post against South Korea in a nil-nil draw and fairly timid performance against Portugal as well. If we'd have started either of those games, as I predicted on YouTube shorts, maybe I should be Uruguay manager, uh, <laughs> then 
Uruguay would be through and perhaps it would have caused Brazil problems. And um, we saw where Brazil capitulated um, against Croatia almost in the, uh, in the, in the extra time period and Ghana, they were a lot more fun. They were a lot, one of the more fun teams at this world cup, three twos all over the, all over the joint and the two nil defeat to Uruguay. Whilst they didn't get their revenge, you've got the Andre Ayu penalty, which is utterly heartbreaking for, for the only survivor of 2010. And obviously the, 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 the history that goes into Ghana versus Uruguay now. And to continue that heartbreak is excruciating, but Ghana have a tiny little nugget of solace that they dragged Uruguay down with them because with Huang Hee Chan's last-minute winner for South Korea against Portugal, which I still can't believe that happened because South Korea didn't pose a single ounce of threat in that game, um... Uruguay's 2-0 win was no longer enough. They needed to win three by three goals and Ghana defended. Well, put it this way, Ghana still needed two goals of their own. They wanted to attack. Daniel Amartis since come out and said that um, they should just defend, take the elimination and stop Uruguay from going through, which is uh, just goes to show that 2010 is still a little bit sore for the Ghanaians. And really, if you... Scoring two in stoppage time against Uruguay, it is unlikely, so you may as well... You know, play the percentages and just drag Uruguay down with them, which Ghana did eventually. And eventually we are going to go to the knockout phase, which we'll do after this short, short break. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back. Let's get stuck into the last 16, shall we? And look at the eliminated teams. So we had USA. And whilst you're on, the, on one end of the spectrum, you had Belgium. You had Uruguay. Tournament too far for some players who were creaking Suarez, Cavani, Diego Godin, etc. For USA, similar to Ecuador in a way, tournament too soon. They had flashes of good stuff here and they're very, very energetic midfield. And really, the manager and the team got schooled by the Netherlands in the last 16. They sat off, let them have the ball, um, knowing that USA are probably best without the ball and... 
they crumbled really and you, and the Netherlands picked their moments to pounce just as they did against Argentina in the in the subsequent phase and um it just goes to show that England's draw against USA it came with England having the majority of the ball and not allowing um USA to have the ball but USA, they are a team that will press, press and press. And they will be a lot better. Of course, they'll be backed by uh, by a home crowd four years on. They're already obviously qualified automatically for that tournament. And they'll be, they'll be a tough prospect next year, especially they'll know the conditions. They'll uh, obviously home advantage, be four years wiser, stronger, more experienced. Um, maybe with the same manager, who knows? There, is, there are whispers um, and rumours of discontent, really. Gio Reyna involved. Um, maybe, maybe uh, if they can put those things aside, USA will be uh, will be successful at the next World Cup. I've got absolutely uh, no reason to believe why not. And for Australia, well, they defied expectation as well. An enormous team spirit to uh, go ahead against France as well. And those brief, I mean, quarter of an hour where they were leading the world champions um, were incredible. And you thought, oh, they've, they've wilted there. Maybe they, they, that'll be the high point of their tournament. But no, <laughs> but no, they, uh, they deserve to go through. They deserve to beat Tunisia. They deserve to beat Denmark as well. And that strong team spirit, you've got Bear Hitch and Sutar in defence. you Goodwin, Leckie as well. They were just... Obviously, Aaron Moy goes without saying the uh, the fulcrum in midfield, and they have, they are quite comparable, I think, to everything we thought Wales might do. If they were to go through to this phase, and last sixteen would have been incredible for Wales. Australia did what we thought Wales would do in in, in that team spirit, in that you know quite defensive football, and uh, pick their moments, win, um, just like what the, what Wales did in Euro twenty sixteen. Australia performed fairly similarly. I felt, and um, unfortunately, joining Australia were Japan in the uh, one of three Asian teams in the last sixteen, which is obviously a record. Um, better in uh, 2002's effort when both Japan and South Korea, obviously as co-hosts, um, got through to the last sixteen. Unfortunately, all three of them would fall at this phase. Japan, I felt, deserved a lot more. The enormous wins over Japan, over Germany and Spain, which we've discussed, but here they came up against. It's always that the case, isn't it? The huge occasions, a win, and then you come up against. Let's not disrespect Croatia, but a, a lesser team than than the might of of Spain and Germany. But it was a team that you probably felt. Yeah, this is going to be a 50-50 game and the experience of Croatia matched up with, yes, Japan are very, very good flexibly. Tactically, you could find them in any type of formation. And I felt they were a little bit like USA. They play better off the ball and the fact that they had more of the ball against Croatia probably told you where the, where the, uh, the, the result was going to go. And as soon as it got to penalties with Croatia's knack from 12 yards, and we'll discuss it in a minute as well, uh, with the quarterfinal, they are Germany-esque from the spot, really. Four wins, four shootouts, exactly the same record as Germany in World Cups. And to say that Croatia are a relatively younger nation, they only started playing in World Cups in 1998, that is a phenomenal record. To be fair, they've only had a penalty shoot. They only started doing penalty shootouts in the World Cup. Last time, <laughs> they got two in a row. Last 16 quarterfinals, one both got to the final. Here, they did, did exactly the same. And Japan, this, like it was a missed opportunity for England in 2018, which wasn't a penalty shootout, but may as well have been. Um, a missed opportunity for Japan to reach a first ever quarterfinal. 
you got to hold your hands up and think, yeah, fair enough, it's Croatia. And Croatia were, yeah, incredible, incredible. More on them in a minute. South Korea, well, I would say they were probably the, one of the weaker teams in the last 16, if I'm being honest. Yes, great moment for Hwang Hee Chan um, scoring that late goal to get them through. But like Poland, it was only a matter of time before they got absolutely annihilated and um, sent on the way, really. They, this, you know, they were quickly found out by Brazil. They were quite naive, I felt, tactically. Paulo Sousa was back in the dugout after being sent off in the second game. And, um, yeah, they were just all over the place against Brazil. And Brazil, this was the, this was the match where Brazil was supposed to then kick on and then win the tournament, weren't they? But um, that obviously never came to pass. Um, and South Korea, last 16, you've got to say it's a massive, massive achievement. Only their third ever last uh, last 16, like the third ever knockout stage appearance in the World Cup. And nobody expected too much of them, despite Son Heung-min, of course, leading the line, recovering from his fractured eye socket. But um, yeah, very well done to South Korea. In terms of Senegal, they just unfortunately Fortunately, in my opinion, she came up against a really good team in the last 16 in England. That's just not me. That's not me boasting because it's England. But they won a 50-50 with Ecuador. They were essentially playing knockout football from the third group game. And yes, we maybe without the injuries, obviously, namely Sadio Mane, without the suspension of Adjusagan again in the last 16, they might have caused a few more problems against England. But they fell on the counter largely to England. And uh, yeah, just a matter of like, like, a bit like Japan, really. Really um, inexperience, really um, well against a, against a more experienced. Won't call them inexperienced against a more experienced team, tournament team. And uh, maybe if they'd been dealt a kinder, kinder opposition in the uh, in the last sixteen, maybe they could have drawn USA. I would have fancied Senegal to beat USA in the in the last sixteen, but it wasn't to be. And again, a bit like uh, a bit like Canada, really. It's um, luck of the draw, really. And we go move on to Poland yeah, again. Did not deserve to go through. The defence is okay, which was one positive. But uh, yeah, Wojciech Szczesny was uh, superb in goal, saved a couple of penalties and just not enough, just not, not nowhere near enough. Um, France tore them apart, rightly so. Lewandowski was uh, on the score sheet a couple of times. Um, one from the spot, one was just handed to him by Saudi Arabia. So I guess that's a positive. Um, but largely, yeah, Poland... Yeah, one of them teams, like Switzerland again, like Mexico, who, yeah, sometimes they may get to a knockout phase, but um, you never truly expect much of anything from them when they get there. And Lewandowski, probably his last World Cup, cut an isolated figure for the majority of it, unfortunately. And um, that will be maybe the abiding memory for him, maybe the abiding memory is the scoring of World Cup goals for the first time in his career, maybe. And Spain, well, we had an elimination that fell eerily eerily similar. We seem to have this um, perception because of what's happened in the not-too-distant past of um, Spain being this all-conquering, superb, brilliant team that's just going to win everything. They'll play brilliant football. But before, you know, that treble in 2008, 2010 and 2012, they were perpetual underachievers, quarterfinal all the time, last 16 as well, occasionally. Um, here they've got the philosophy, which they didn't necessarily... Well, they did have a philosophy, but it was a very different philosophy before 2008, and it was a uh, fighting spirit all about that. Um, here it's it's tiki-taka, and tiki-taka, and it is tiki-taka. It's not a... It is a pejorative, firmly a pejorative. Too dull, too static, very lucky to go through, really, in the end, and... 
you've got to say, a bit like 2018 when they bowed out in the last 16 to Russia. Probably didn't deserve to go any further here. And it was penalties against Spain, a bit like England have a, a rotten record from the spot, don't they? And they came up against exactly the wrong team, <laughs> really, in Morocco, who were, they were going to sit exactly where they were going to sit, be happy with less than a quarter of the ball, less than a quarter of the ball, and um, take a win by any means necessary, be it one counter-attack, be it a uh, penalty. And yes, Spain's, Spain's outline really is to bore, bore the opposition, sort of lean on their switching off in defence and just go for the kill. But it's a very high risk. To say that possession football like that as a defensive mechanism is supposed to be low risk, that's quite high risk when you consider how few chances that Spain actually have. And we could have been talking about a completely different tournament had Pablo Sarabia hit the post. And going into a match against Portugal... Well, maybe the Iberian emotion of that maybe put Spain ahead of Portugal and then you get into a semi-final against France. Who knows what would have happened? Those are very fine margins, of course, um, to give Spain a bit of credit. And of course, there is that 7-0 win over Costa Rica. But outside of that, the performances didn't deserve more than the last 16. They barely scraped through in the uh, in the groups. They were In the end, they were reliant on Germany to beat Costa Rica to go through, which... Um, says it all really about Spain and Luis Enrique has since left and um, who knows now for Spain they seem to lurch from uh, one underachievement to another it's very um, pre-2008 of them really of the good old days of Raul etc guys commendieta and uh, finally in the last 60 eliminations Switzerland I felt as though they brought a little bit of something else to this tournament yes they were absolutely eviscerated against Portugal <laughs> that's you know, sweep that under the rug. Again, like I mentioned earlier, European Mexicans, too good for the group stage, not good enough for the knockouts. Um, but I felt as though they had a, a different attacking dimension under uh, Yakin. Blown away, though, in the last 16, and rightly so. I, um, you always think of Switzerland being obdurate, back three, double pivots, play that dour football that, that usually does all right in tournaments, but never really um, has success for Switzerland because of the lack of you know absolute superstars um, that they have. And usually it's good enough for the last 16. Here it was as well. But I felt as though they were a bit more exciting. Braylon Bolo replaced Harry Seferovic, which I was absolutely delighted about, obviously. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit better from Switzerland. Nobody expected anything from them because everybody was raving about Serbia and they couldn't possibly eliminate Brazil. So it was either Serbia or Switzerland. Most people tend to lean towards Serbia, tend to lean the one that look exciting and are exciting and have something new. But usually it's the the grizzled old team, the experienced team that just eke through. And Switzerland did again and, and credit to them for that. But a different slant on things, I think, um, this time from the Swiss. So we'll go through to the quarter finalists, the Netherlands. Well, they got through and... According to FIFA, they are ranked as the best quarterfinalist fifth. I would probably have them third best quarterfinalist behind England and Brazil, but because of their, they went they essentially went home undefeated. I suppose um, they went home via the penalty spot, of course, and they got seven points from the group. Um, so by that token, they are the best quarterfinalist by record in terms of back home. Traditionalists didn't really like Louis Van Gaal's football. 
But I felt he could be proud of his his goodbye to football management, if it is a goodbye to football management. Of course, it's obviously well well uh, documented his um, health problems in the past two years, and the fact that he's even managing the Dutch at a major tournament is nothing short of a miracle, a huge testament to the man, and um, deserves a bit more credit, I think, because. Yes, total football is obviously a yardstick from which Dutch football is always going to be measured against. Johan Cruyff, Johan Neeskins, and later Rob Rensenbrink and Marco van Basten, football like that is always going to be used by detractors of the current management. We have a similar situation in England, really, without really any firm philosophical foundation for it. Um, But again, England, a bit like the Dutch, only one major tournament trophy should have a bit more, um, but don't and often bow out at stages like these. Um, It's because Lou Van Gaal played reactionary football. It got him to the got him to third place in 2014. It was doing well. It took, they took Argentina to penalties, an Argentina team who at times have seemed inevitable, more inevitable as the, um, as the tournament's gone on, he got Leno Scaloni to bend to his wishes tactically by fielding a back three, so maybe credit there. And he was tactically a bit diverse because he brought Vout Vegas on. Yes, you may not like the football, direct, lump it up to the big man, etc. But it got them into a, into a quarterfinal penalty shootout. And Netherlands-Argentina, when it's a shootout, especially with Emi Martinez in goal, you never, even a f- penalty shootout should be 50-50, you never really felt as though Argentina were going to lose that shootout. I certainly didn't anyway, a bit like Croatia and Japan as well. And we go to Brazil, where if you didn't listen to all the hype and you removed yourself from all the hype and everything like that and just purely looked at the history, the recent history since 2002, this exit shouldn't come as too much of a shock because it is another quarterfinal, another going out of the World Cup to the first whiff of European opposition that you meet. Now, of course, the outlier is 2014 with the semi-final, but there's not too much glory to be gleaned from that, given, obviously, the outcome 7-1 against Germany. You've got a defeat to Belgium quarterfinal, first knockout European opposition there. Obviously, Croatia was this year as well. Germany after beating Colombia and Chile, and um, Chile were beaten in 2010 um, before... The Dutch beat them, and 2006, France beat them as well. And it's just the same story on a non as, as was well telegraphed, he has departed. Neymar looks as though he, he said it's his last World Cup, whether or not it is, is another story. I think with the World Cup being in the United States, maybe, maybe it might not be his last World Cup. I don't know that if that has correlation or not. Who knows? Maybe it does. Um, maybe a little closer to home, I guess, than in Europe. But um, I, I feel as though I don't. I wasn't truly shocked by the elimination at a quarterfinal. Maybe, yeah, Croatia, maybe. But Croatia's midfield versus Brazil's lack of midfield, it, it made tactical sense that, um, that Brazil went out. They only were ahead thanks to a, a, an absolute bit of genius from Neymar which for me is the goal of the tournament barring any absolute ludicrous goal in the this weekend that I've that I've missed um or I haven't been able to see yet because I belong in the past um <laughs> I was recording this on Friday so yeah I, I wasn't entirely uh entirely stunned yeah Brazil losing to Croatia that those names and the history of the weight of those names yes it was a shock but tactically historically from both Croatia are more experienced than Brazil at this stage in a World Cup. So 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, I don't think it was too much of a shock. Um, maybe Neymar will have one more ride of it, one more go around the roundabout like Messi has done this time around. Um, but you never really know. These Brazil are always favourites for a World Cup when it comes around. 2026, if I can spit it out, um, will be a return to USA, where, of course, Brazil ended 24 years of um, World Cup agony, of course, from 2002 to 2026, of course, it's 24 years. So maybe these things like Messi, if that is to be the case this time around, maybe they're just written in the stars. Maybe. And then we go on to England where I believe I've said my piece with England. Um, I felt one of the better teams just lost out in a 50-50. In my opinion, yes, the stage of elimination is a step backwards. But if you step out of that binary, binary world, I think progress was made. Another young regeneration of a squad. It's sort of incremental generations. So Jude Bellingham this time, Phil Foden too, Bukayo Saka. Um, there are, England are a lot stronger than they obviously than 2018, but it's around further back and they played a lot better and they went toe to toe with an elite team. They just unfortunately weren't look of the draw. Really? If, if England were in the other half of the draw, I have no doubt. Yes. Argentina in the quarterfinals would be a sticking point, but I think England would be in the final if they were in the other half of the draw, they just came up against probably the best international team at the time. Yes, France don't play great football. England at times don't, but you don't need to play great football to win tournaments. Ask Brazil. Ask you know other teams that have been uh, occasionally very good at this tournament, which is few and far between, really. England, one of them. And Portugal, they had fleeting moments as well. They were a contender for all of four days when they absolutely obliterated Switzerland. But Morocco and the desperation that came with it, the tactical naivety I suppose from a man who probably should have ought to have known better and Fernando Santos has paid the price for that quarterfinal exit he has lost his job and um, perhaps again one game where if you remove the teams you remove the players um, and just see the two 11s on the pitch tactically yeah that was the right result yes Portugal had quite a slew of chances occasionally um, but Morocco had a plan, they stuck to it, and they picked their moments, and like Spain, like like Belgium, Portugal were beaten, and yes, if you have the ball for, for less than a third, you can still deserve to win, just like Morocco deserved to win against Spain. They probably deserved to win more against Portugal, and obviously did against Belgium too. So Morocco, well, they just defied... The history of everything, really, didn't they? They broke down barriers in terms of Arab nations at a World Cup, first one to get to the quarterfinals, which, of course, they then bettered by getting to the semifinals, being the first African nation at a World Cup semifinal as well. And even though it was 2-0 in the semifinals, and even though the semifinals were a bit of a procession, maybe, in both of them, as, a, as opposed to the quarterfinals, which were a bit nip and tuck, really, um, Morocco still had a fantastic performance in that semifinal. Uh, you look at the victims that they had, Belgium, Portugal, Spain. That's three of the European elite, and they held Croatia. Now, I am recording this before the playoff, um, which was last night, um, so I don't know if they've then got the bronze medal. Um, regardless, I don't think it changes anything. Morocco should be immensely proud. And four years on, you know, Amrabat will be, he'll only be 29, 30. Hakimi will be in his peak. Ziyech will be in his peak as well. And you've got this litany of players who will be, you know, four years older, wiser, and you know, better for this tournament, for this experience. I don't think we're going to see an absolute powerhouse of an international powerhouse of a Moroccan persuasion going forward. But still, 
very good foundation, could go and equal this at the next tournament. They've certainly got the um, the team, the players, the you know the the coach. He's incredible. He's obviously only 120 days into his reign as manager, so of course he'll be obviously entrusted with the next four years. You'd like to think anyway, um, barring him being headhunted, I think is the only way he goes because he'll be a god, first African manager to reach a World Cup quarterfinal, obviously semi-final. So, yeah, they would they would just the story of this World Cup. Yes, if there's if there's one thing to take away, it's it's Morocco, and yes, it was. Football that people lament Diego Simeone, Jose Mourinho for, but they did it and were successful with it. And they did it on a World Cup and against some incredible teams. So they deserve uh, some incredible praise for that. Meanwhile, Croatia, their playoff opponents, well, they just did Croatian things. They had a very good midfield, as they always tend to do. It is probably the end of the line for a lot of these players, though. You struggle to see um, Modric won't be at the next World Cup. That's much as obvious Dan Lovren won't be. You struggle to see if um, Brozovic will, he conti- will be able to um, continue for the next four years. Probably. Uh, Perisic won't. Um, the front line is a big issue. Um, it was at this tournament and even without a front line there, they got into the final four. So good going from Croatia, from again, from a population so small to to reach successive semifinals, to be in three semifinals and only failing to cons- to not qualify in two tournaments since 1996, since they were allowed to participate in tournaments. An incredible feat. And players keep coming off the line, don't they? Off the conveyor belt. Vardiol is the best defender at this tournament. For me, absolutely stunning footballer. Football manager, players will know all about him. And now the world does, I suppose. And uh, again, yeah, brilliant. And if that conveyor belt continues, Croatia, yeah, it just means more, I think, than compared to some nations. Croatians... They just have that appetite for international football, that hunger for international football that sometimes other teams, other players don't necessarily do. And Croatia, yeah, they punch above their weight continually. And um, you could guess like Switzerland are the European Mexicans, I guess Croatia are the European Uruguayans. They just need a, a World Cup to go with it now, I guess. Or maybe even just a European Championship. So then we get to the uh, the final two, France and Argentina. France chasing immortality like Pozzo of the 30s, killing Mbappe, chasing Pele of the 50s, 60s and 70s. Probably deserving of a place in this this final. Yes, they, they had a bit of a wobble here and there against Tunisia, against England, but the way they've played Antoine Griezmann at the heart of it, yes, Mbappe looks set for the golden boot. Olivier Giroud could even pip him to it, <laughs> I suppose, depending on how the match today goes. Um, but, yeah, incredibly deserving. It, it says a lot for... Didier Deschamps with the weight of the transitions, which have which have the weight of the injuries rather than it's forced that transition. I think um, he's managed it incredibly well. He's understood that he's tried to evolve from a back four to a back three and then gone back on that and gone back to his 4-2-3-1 that he uses. And it's worked a treat and he deserves a lot of recognition. I don't, I don't think he gets enough praise for what he's done. I mean, it's just it's ludicrous. If he wins, if France win... He will be the first manager since Vittorio Pozzo in 1934 and 38 to win the World Cup. And to put an asterisk against those, 1934 Italy, it was Mussolini's World Cup held in Italy. So you can imagine what nefarious means went on there. And 1938, there's all sorts of rumours about um, Hungarians leaders sort of getting in touch with the uh, with the manager and saying, maybe, maybe it might be best for... Uh, 
for the world if if Italy win in terms of two fascist fascist led states at the time. Um, yeah, there's a lot of history around that and why Didier Deschamps winning two World Cups would be infinitely, infinitely um, more than than Vittorio Pozzo's wasn't. And the format's changed, the quality of football's changed, etc. The difficulty of the World Cup has changed drastically as well. Um, and Argentina, they've had a few wobbles like France, grown into a tournament. I think Lionel Scaloni has managed well beyond his years. He's uh, the youngest manager at this tournament, was at the start, is now obviously. And the way he's tactically gone to, obviously the, the, the drastic change was the back three in the quarterfinals, but he moves from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1. He can deploy any kind of any kind of um, tactics, really, to uh, unseat the opposition. We'll probably see something completely different again today. Obviously, the, the headline news is Messi and the holy grail of the World Cup, but Argentina as a team, I felt they've they've come on very well. McAllister has had a, a stunning tournament. Enzo Fernandez, a breakthrough star. Christian Romero has done the uh, the dirty work at the back that nobody's going to talk about. Nahuel Molina has been brilliant, especially the past few games, um, from an attacking standpoint as well. Uli and Alvarez, another breakout star. So it's not just messy and ten pieces of wood, is it really? It is It is a very, very good, well-knit team. Rodrigo de Paul doing his bit as well. He's keeping Angel Di Maria out of the team. So I think um, either way, it's going to be a fantastic contest. I personally don't have a preference one way or the other. It would be nice to see Messi lift the World Cup, I suppose. But I also feel it could be fitting for them, for neither Messi or, or Cristiano Ronaldo to lift the World Cup. For them to be the greatest players of all time, indisputably, but neither of them lift the World Cup could be quite fitting, quite telling. Now, Messi is probably number one. Oh, he's number one, isn't he? And Ronaldo's number two. And they are coming, obviously, from different angles, uh, from different European nations. But we're not going to get into, into uh, Messi versus Ronaldo. Um, it is Argentina versus France. It's perhaps the story of the old generation passing the baton to the new generation, Messi to Mbappe. That will obviously be the story in this game today. But we've previewed that. Enough in terms of the entire World Cup. The correct balance of shocks. Probably. Maybe, maybe sort of, maybe lent at times, especially in the knockout phase, maybe Morocco and Croatia, could have veered dangerously into 2002 levels of shocks. But I don't think, I think we've had the right balance of drama and shocks. I think there's more... There's more good football teams, international football teams in 2022 than there is to 2002. So you can have Germany, Belgium, Uruguay all missing and still have an absolutely stacked last 16. And the teams that flatter to deceive, Poland, shocking, um, they come from groups where it's a 50-50 match and maybe they... Maybe they could have gone through. Maybe they couldn't have gone through. They was, they weren't taking the place of a much stronger team. Whereas in 2002, you did have the likes of uh, France, Portugal, Argentina all missing the knockout phase, and it slightly um, slightly did uh, dilute things. I don't think we've had as many enormous, huge knockout phase matches as you would have hoped. I think we've only had two, really, the, the final being a third. So we've had the Dutch versus Argentina, England versus France. And outside of that, nothing really. Yes, Brazil-Croatia was a brilliant match. Morocco, Spain-Morocco-Portugal were fantastic affairs as well. But there's never, there's not been a slew of 
Titanic matches, but I don't think it's really suffered for it. Uh, the semi-finals may have been a bit of a whitewash, although Morocco have been brilliant throughout, and I think they've more than deserved their spot in the semi-finals. Croatia too, um, but uh, you just didn't have that sort of enormous matches and a lot of the last 16 felt like a procession some of the uh the semi-finals did a little bit too quarterfinals were of brilliant quality brilliant stories and if there wasn't a quality if there wasn't you know huge names in both games in both teams then there was always drama at this world cup there was always always drama the, the two big barometers for me is dramas the correct balance of shocks and maybe as well, you can add the the uh, the amount of goals in there as well. I think a lot of people were lamenting the amount of nil-nil draws. I and mean, I think we got quite lucky in 2018 with just one, and that was in a dead rubber, really. That didn't really mean much. Here we had quite a lot in the first week. They've sort of dissipated and uh, surpassed the goal tallies for both 2006 and 2010 after the last 16. <laughs> so you've still got eight or so, seven matches, and um, eight matches, rather. And... Um, You've surpassed tallies of entire 32-team tournaments of years gone by. So, yeah, outside the semi-finals, I think it's been incredibly positive. Um, we've got a marquee match in the final, huge stories to go with it. And to be fair, the stories have run throughout numerous, as they tend to do with with every World Cup. The drama has been insatiable at certain times, um, and I think we've had enough drama to 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 pick up the slack from some sort of quality really and in terms of the legacy of Qatar yes most of it will probably be off the field of course the human cost is great and not worth a 64 match sports tournament Qatar have certainly made themselves visible geopolitically they've made allies um for if maybe post-tournament tensions should flare up with fellow Gulf states. Um, so in a cynical standpoint, they've shored their future up that way. Um, the impact on the environment will be another point made. There are other legacy issues, like the fact that most stadia will be halved in capacity, which is a good thing, which is, you know, mindfulness about, you know, tournaments gone by from Brazil and South Africa, most notably, where stadiums have been used as car parks and just left to rot. Of course, in Russia... It is a more of a football nation and those stadiums, well, the majority of them will get used. Um, here, it's quite obvious that they wouldn't. So most of them have been halved. One's been, comp well, not torn down, but it's it's been removed of its shipping containers and sold off, which I suppose is, is a good way to do it. Um, and yes, everything, a lot of um, things geopolitically and uh, culturally have... Um, <laughs> been hard to stomach let's say um but in terms of a football for all which i think is a a standpoint from set blatter if you just take that that sort of grain football should be for everybody and it should go everywhere yes and it's only when you drill about one millimeter beneath the surface of that man that you see yeah that's not all what it is really but in terms of this football showcasing you know north african football arabic football asian football as a whole really japan south korea australia it has been a great carnival really of football it is a shame that uh, some atmospheres featuring european teams haven't really lived up to it and um it, it, it 
inclusivity of football, I think, has gone up a little bit, um, if not the inclusivity of the whole population, sadly, on this on this earth, thanks to certain issues. Um, but if we talk about purely football, fun World Cup, sometimes lacking in quality, but sometimes an overabundance of drama, plenty of goals, plenty of incidents. Unfortunately, England didn't win it. Um, we could end with, well, we're either ending with the one or two narratives. The greatest players, greatest crowning glory, which probably would overshadow quite a lot of the World Cup, or the new generation of Mbappe grasping, clutching at that mantle after Lionel Messi and the old generation. So whatever, we're going to have a narrative to take us into the future. Will killing Mbappe even eclipse Pelé's trophy hall in the World Cup? Who knows? But um, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a good World Cup. Let's say that. I don't think it's scaled the heights of 2014 or 2018. It's certainly been better than the the three prior than that, 2002, which had too many shocks. Um, 2006-2010 lacking drastically in quality. Um, but 2022 has been uh, somewhere in between there, I think. And I think we'll look back on it. Yes, a quirky tournament. Yes, a strange tournament. Sometimes it did not feel like a World Cup. Um, it's easy to say that from a Western European standpoint when you're getting up uh, to watch a football match at 10 a.m. 2002, though, you, you had that dialed to 11. We'll see that again in, in four years with the US and it still feels like a World Cup. This kind of didn't. The stadiums all look the same, barring one, which was the only one that was built well before the World Cup. And um, yeah, a lot of greyness, but the football did manage to spark some colour into it at times. So with that retrospective of this World Cup, we've only got one match to go. And of course, we'll cover the third, fourth place playoff in some way, shape or form, I suppose, tomorrow. And um, until then, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for following us on this 2022 World Cup journey. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with France versus Argentina and we'll see who... The three-time champions of the world are. Will it be Argentina, will it be Messi, or will it be France, Mbappé and Didier Deschamps? Silly. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.